Natalie, I do this thing at the beginning of every year where I start a playlist of all the things I just obsessively listened to that year. And it's been kind of, it's been really telling because it's it's mostly true when I see my year-end sort of playlists. It's all those same songs that are on my actual everyday playlist that I've created. And so I, so I tend to get stuck on certain songs and I listen to them a ton. Do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I think I definitely do that. I mean, that's going to keep me coming back to an album for sure. If I have like one or two standout tracks that really, really grip me, you know? Yeah. And then sometimes I'll listen to this one song over and over, but I would never have really listened to the album in full. That's also true. But you know what? I'm kind of craving that full album experience. I, I learned that I'm, especially these days, I'm appreciating artists who put thought into creating an album that's like an entire start to finish experience, you know? So I, I find myself yeah. seeking those kinds of things out more. Yeah, for sure. Oh, hi. Hi. Welcome to the store. Uh, just take a look around and let us know if you need anything. I'm Tara. This is Natalie. Um, so yeah, Natalie, I... I do. I agree. I feel like I have more been listening to full albums, but I think when I get stuck on that that one song for whatever reason, I don't do a deep dive sometimes. So I was thinking today, one of the songs that I've been really obsessed with lately in this early part of 2022 is Strawberry Letter 23 Ooh. by Shuggy Otis. Oh, that's a good one. The present from you. Yeah, and it is time for our album of the month chat. I'm ready. So I was thinking my album of the month is going to be a Shugiotis album. I think that's a great choice. Which album? Oh, actually, not the Strawberry Letter 23 one, but Inspiration Information. Oh, right on. Okay, I'm down with that. Yeah. So yeah, do you have an album picked out that you want to chat through? I absolutely do. I am picking the third studio album from Hiatus Coyote. Mood Valiant, my current cool. obsession. Yeah. Your current obsession? Absolutely. Is this a 2022 obsession or is this has this been like, you know, I have songs that I've been obsessed with since for like three years. <laughs> I'd say it's a 2022 obsession. I mean, it was released in 2021 and I'd been listening to some of the other things in their discography, but I really, really got into this album this year. Yeah. Nice. Cool. And if you are in the store listening, Album of the Month Club is our once a month album that we listen to in full and talk through and just highlight why we like it, what are the songs, you know, any sort of historical context, and just explore albums that may not make it to our high fidelity top five lists. So yeah, so today I'm going to talk about 1974's Inspiration Information by Shogi Otis. And yeah, have you listened to much Shuggy Otis in the past? Yeah, I have. I think he's great. You know, you mentioned Strawberry Letter 23. And I think everyone's familiar with that song. It's such a huge hit. But I actually grew, yeah. I grew up on the, the Brothers Johnson version. From you, right. And then yeah. probably like later on in life, then I went back and, and discovered the Shuggy Otis. But I also have to, to shout out one of my other favorite covers of that song, which is done by Digital Underground. A present from you, strawberry 
the music plays. Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really dope. Cool. Yeah, you should look that up on Spotify and check it out. So that's that's a fun okay. reimagining of that song. But um, no, I love Shuggy Otis. I think he's great. Yeah, I definitely have to check out that song. Yeah, I love Strawberry Letter 23. And that is definitely the song that people know him most for, even though Brothers Johnson took it to the, chart, the top of the charts. Um, when they covered it, it is his song. And funnily enough, or interestingly enough, rather, on his All Music profile, um, if you look under the bio, the first picture you see is the Brothers Johnson. Are you serious? And not Shuggy Otis. Isn't that wild? Oh, that's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> to this day. Yeah, I know. Crazy. But yeah, Shuggy Otis is a child prodigy. He's the son of rock and roll Hall of Famer Johnny Otis, who was rhythm and blues pioneer, musician, band leader. And I- Um, He was pivotal in the evolution of rock and roll and R&B, and he was also, I mean, outside of being a band leader, musician, composer, he was a producer, facilitator for people like Etta James, Big Bonnie Thornton, Little Willie John, and even Jackie Wilson, which is, those are uh, huge names. So for then Shuggy Otis to come from a person who has such an impact in music history. He started playing guitar when he was 11 years old, and then he started playing in the studio with his dad and a bunch of other just famous musicians, blues people. He had his first album when he was, I think, 12 years old, but it wasn't, it was mostly his father's doing. And then his next album came when he was, I think, 16. It's called Here Comes Shuggy Otis and was released in 1969. And then Freedom of Flight came in 1971, which is his biggest commercial success. And that's the one that Strawberry Letter 23 is on. Still not entirely his own, but we're getting there. Yeah. And still pretty <laughs> blues heavy. Although this song is very psychedelic, I would say. You know what? That that Freedom Flight album is is really dope. He's got some cool features from some big names on that record, including mm-hmm. George Duke is on that album, who's incredible. I love George Duke. Um, and he's also got the drummer Ainsley Dunbar, who's played with like huge names like Journey, Bowie, Zappa, Lou Reed, you know. And his father, yeah. Johnny Otis, is on the album as well, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, Zappa was a huge fan of Johnny, of Johnny's, and like gave shout outs all the time to Shuggy, and I think was a huge help in sort of getting his career started. I mean, obviously, he didn't need much help because of his dad, but yeah, great album. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, great start uh, to his career, really. I mean, outside of those other two albums that were really when he was just getting started as a kid. But yeah, he is talking about how everyone thought that when he wrote Strawberry Letter 23, everyone thought he was on LSD, but he wasn't. He said, <laughs> I was straight. But he said he was trying to relate to the hippie crowd. And it, I think it, it works. he nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> he nailed it. <laughs> but Strawberry Letter 23 and the Brothers Johnson version of it, the popularity of it, got him attention with um, Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones was really interested in working with Shugiotis. And but he turned him down. He did not want to work with Quincy Jones. He just could tell it would not be on his terms. Mm. And so he was like, nah, dude, I I want this to be my music. Now that's some that's some serious foresight, wouldn't you say? To be able to turn down <laughs> Quincy Jones, a force like Quincy Jones. That's wild to me. Yeah. 
and I read about it somewhere, but it didn't say why. And so I had to go on a hunt. I had to know why. What is, why? <laughs> why would you ever turn down Quincy Jones? But that's a really good reason, I would say. Do you think Quincy Jones linked up with the Brothers Johnson, like, just maybe with a with a hint of spite in oh, his heart? I wonder. <laughs> I don't know if that's a really good thing. I don't want to impose that on the man, but eh, right. maybe. So he's he's the hot thing right now after this. You know, song pops off. This record is doing pretty well. And... In 1974, he had an offer from the Rolling Stones to replace Mick Taylor. Again, he was like, I don't want to be nobody's side guy. So he turned them down. <laughs> this man has some fortitude. <laughs> he really does. He's turned down working with David Bowie, Spirit, Buddy Miles, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And I'm just like, holy smokes. These are a lot of really huge names that he turned down. But I don't think he has any regrets because it's still his own music. So then, yeah, that was 1974. Here comes our album of the month. <laughs> Inspiration Information. I'm in a snake back 1974. He does tour with his dad. So he's on tour with his dad when he starts making this record. And then he comes back and he's doing everything himself. He plays all the parts except for the horns, basically. The, the analog drum machine, all the strings. He does it all. He's playing all the, writes all the songs. So this is truly his own, but it takes him so long to make this album. And then it kind of flops. Then mm -hmm. he gets dropped by his label. And he's, he's kind of just forgotten about for a really long time. And a lot of people even thought he died, but he didn't. He was still there. David Byrne re-released this album in 2001 reissued it, and even added songs from the Freedom album to it and then some extras from the Wings album. So it's kind of not the exact same, but... So he gets some minor success when it's re-released, and that's because at the time, there's this sort of resurgence of this jazzy, rock, psychedelic, loungy jazz thing coming back, mm -hmm. which also, at the time of it coming out originally... Was, was kind of popping off. When you think about Steely Dan, Having a Moment, 1974, a lot of musicians like that. So yeah, I love this album. Yeah, this is a great album. I mean, it's, it's funny to think, you know, the way he sort of disappeared from the spotlight for so long. And then way, way later, the album was finally like appreciated for being so fantastic. And these are really great songs. And it makes you kind of think yeah. like all of those collaborations that he turned down, I mean, we wouldn't have gotten this record if he hadn't That's done true. that. It would have been something very different. It wouldn't have been pure Shuggy Otis. So, you know, I think yeah. it worked out in the end, right? I agree. I am really surprised it didn't take off, though, in 1974. I mean, it's, it's even been compared to, or he's been compared to Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye. And when, apparently when Sly Stone heard it, he, his, his jaw dropped. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, why did it not? I think he's, this was like a musician's album, you know, but maybe the, the people just weren't into it. Yeah. I yeah. Know. I mean, the public is really fickle. And if you don't keep that yeah. momentum going, they, they really do think you just fall off the earth and die. That's, which is wild to me. <laughs> so they probably did think the man died and just moved on. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're lost. (laughs) Yeah. I 100% agree, but I'm so glad we have it now. And I think it's influenced a lot of people uh, that we were graced with even more fantastic music from like, for example, Prince was highly influenced by Shogiotis. Stereo Lab, even I've heard Channel Orange, Frank Ocean's Channel Orange was influenced by Shogiotis. Oh, wow. But let's talk about some of the songs. Uh, Out of My Head is my favorite track on this album. Yeah. Out of My Head. That's one of my favorites so too. Good. Yeah. Let's Let's take a little listen here. Out of my Uh, yeah, so out of my head, it's kind of apparently he's only had three acid trips in his life, <laughs> and one of them he wrote out of my head. Kind of, I think, went through a little bit of depression <laughs> after the recording process that took so long, and so then. This sort of came out of this too, and it's funky, it's psychedelic, it's even spelled funny. It's not. It's not spelled like I love the spelling for standard, this. Standard, <laughs> right? <laughs> your standard out of my head. It's at my head, H E D. And he said he was just trying to be different. Yeah, I like that. Another one, uh, instrumental, very jazzy, rainy day. Then another super fun sort of experimental. This is one I feel like is has a stereo lab esque sound to it. Pling, and even the name mm. of it feels like something that they would name their songs or an album. They always have pretty interesting titled albums. Emperor Tomato Ketchup. <laughs> right. So yeah, Pling. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, there's so much I could say about this album, yeah. but really it's it's just a surprise that someone as heralded as Shuggy Otis, always described as a prodigy, a genius, an inspiration. How did he go so long? How did he, how did he sort of get forgotten for so long? Yeah, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, like... I appreciate that he took his time with his art. You know what I mean? It takes a lot of conviction to not let outside pressures push the process. I don't think people appreciate the kind of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into recording one song, let alone an entire cohesive album. You know what I mean? It is really emotional and it can be a struggle, but I think that's how you get the most genuine, the most vulnerable art is when you take your time and just kind of like follow your North Star all the way through. Yeah. And then with it getting reissued in 2001, I think it reached a whole other audience that it probably would never have reached otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Can I share some of my favorite tracks from the album? Oh, yes, please. So I love Island Letter. just really soothing and his voice and the music is gentle like that track could really have gone on for another 10 minutes and I would have just been in bliss I think it's really cool 
Yeah. Um, I like Happy House. It's super short. It's like a minute and a half long. But he's got like these contrasting A, B sections that he bounces between and it's yeah. it stands out for me. I think it's really cute. And he does a similar thing. Some interesting change-ups on Not Available, I think is what the track is called. Where he's got like this traveling bass line in this groove going and then suddenly it all just drops out and he's got a guitar that kicks off a totally different groove you know and it's not like jarring at all it just it just works yeah i wonder what's the story with not available yeah but that last track that last track uh castle top jam that oh that's a wings one. Oh, is it really oh, okay well that's or like wings sorry that from the not the band wings but like that other album that was tacked on oh. um when it was reissued okay so huh. last song on the original would be not available oh i didn't know that but yeah but then so that's one of those other albums oh that's good to know unreleased the version yeah. i had had castle top castle top jam like with the inspiration information tracks, which is weird. But anyway, that's that's still the jam. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah. That's like a real neck snapping yeah. kind of groovy track. Yeah. I mean, so that's a, this is an interesting topic. When you get reissues with more songs added, do you think it adds to or takes away from the original idea of the album? That's a good question. I actually haven't listened to all of the tracks on Wings of Love. I was trying, I just want to experience, you know, inspiration information on its own. Yeah. And so it's weird that that track would have been a part of it. Yeah. I don't know. While I appreciate and I want to listen to those songs, could they not have just left them to be part of another reissue or something? Can we get the album as it's meant to be? Yeah. The album that was long forgotten. Like why add on all these other songs and make it something that's actually not. I agree. Especially because he was so intentional about it. Especially for this album, because I feel like those Wings of Love records are like completely different in vibe. Different. And it just completely yeah. takes you out of the, I mean, they're great. Don't get me wrong, but it's like right. a totally different right. listening experience. Exactly. Such a great album. Yeah, it's super great. I, I was reading about him and I think my my favorite tidbit about Shigiotis is you mentioned that he was playing professionally at 11. And I read somewhere that he disguised himself in sunglasses and a mustache when he was young so that he could play in nightclubs with his dad. <laughs> yeah, so cool. I mean, I wonder if this album, because they the public, maybe they were expecting blues and they got a little bit more experimental psychedelic vibes and that was not what they were looking for despite, you know, his musician peers really loving it because... They are maybe always wanting to push themselves. Maybe they were found inspiration from this album, but the public was more, more or less disappointed because they were expecting something else, which is always a struggle, especially with that sophomore album, right? I mean, not a sophomore, but it's like second after the one big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big-ish one, yeah. Well, maybe now we'll add some listeners and, the, and it'll have another surge because it absolutely deserves it. Yeah. 
I agree. Yeah. We should get on the uh, the intercom system and tell everyone to listen to it and then share it with a friend. Yes, spread the love. <laughs> See how many copies we can sell <laughs> right. of inspiration information. <laughs> well, your album, I think, has a lot of common themes, or not themes, but rather sounds. It kind of has that same soul, psychedelic thing going hmm. on. Can you tell me more about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like Hiatus Coyote, Mood Valiant, has a lot of similar jazzy, acoustic R&B sounds, somewhat psychedelic that Suge Otis's album has as well. Maybe if Suge Otis did like a couple more acid trips. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, Hiatus Coyote is an Australian R&B group. I mean, some people call it like Future Soul, and the band members themselves have called it multi-dimensional polyrhythmic gangsta shit, which I think is most apt, oh. right? And uh, Mood Valiant, this is their album from 2021. And it'd been like a full six years since their second album, Choose Your Weapon, which earned them a Grammy nod for Best R&B Performance. And they were the first Australian act to be nominated in that category, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah. Another fun Grammy fact about this group, they were actually nominated for a Grammy back in 2013 for Best R&B Performance uh, for their song, I think you say Nakamara. Forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. And they performed it with Q-Tip, but they lost out to Snarky Puppy and that incredible recording they did with Layla Hathaway uh, called oh. Something. And I was just kind of like chuckling to myself thinking, if there's any Grammy that I wouldn't have been disappointed um, to lose, like to, to whom I would have lost to, it would have been Snarky yeah. Puppy. Like that, that Layla Hathaway performance was pretty great. So it's cool that they've been, <laughs> they've gotten some Grammy nods. I think they deserve one. Yeah, they've got one, they've awesome. got one coming in the future. I'm manifesting it. Shuggy, Shuggy and Hiatus Coyote deserve Grammy. Absolutely. Let's start a campaign. <laughs> yeah, but... This album's really great. They the first single is called Get Sun. It's just really funky, upbeat song. It features strings and horns from Arthur Verakai, the legendary Brazilian composer. And it just like elevates the whole track to a completely new galaxy. And it's it's cool because the ending kind of melts away into this rainforest scene with like this misty ambiance and bird calls, you know. It's just so stylish. Everything they do is so cool and stylish. Yeah. I mean, the intro track, it's like 35 seconds long, but it, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I'm like, okay, here's a great way to start. Let's go. I'm ready for the rest after that. It's just so beautiful. And they just smack Perfect. you with that groove. Yeah. It's, it's a wild yeah. ride, the whole record. 
Um, they, the other single that they had was called Chivalry Is Not Dead. Where Napalm, the singer, she's like explaining some bizarre mating rituals of the animal kingdom, which is a cute song. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my standout track oh, yeah. for me. And I was like, wow, this this has a really similar feel to a Taylor McFerrin song. One called Decisions was one I was going for in my head. Let's listen to that really quickly. But so that led me to this is one of my favorite albums like ever, ever. I listen to this album all the time still. It came out in 2014 and I still revisit this album. Taylor McFerrin is Bobby McFerrin's son. And so, yeah, I went to look at the album Early Riser because I was curious after hearing the Hiatus Coyote song, Chivalry is Not Dead, and was so thinking immediately Taylor McFerrin. I was curious why maybe I thought that. And of course, she has a song with them, with him called The Anecdote. Yeah, so I love that song, and I knew there was a reason why I immediately thought of Taylor McFerrin when I heard that song. It's because she's on Early Riser. Uh, Also, I hear, do you remember that band Lucy Pearl? Oh, yeah. From the 90s? Yeah, yeah. They're like a super group. Raphael Sadiq. Oh, yes. I absolutely remember Lucy Pearl, right? Raphael Sadiq, like you mentioned. Yeah. Don Robinson. Tony, Tony, Tony. Yeah, from Tony, Tony, Tony. From In Vogue. Uh, Don Robinson from In Vogue. And then Ali Shaheed Muhammad from Tribe Called Quest. From Tribe. Like, what a super group. Yeah. I want to dance tonight. I want to toast tonight. I'll spend my money tonight. I'll spend my money tonight. I want to dance. Major super group. But they're so... Great. Like they're soulful, groovy. So for whatever reason, Hiatus Coyote reminded me of Lucy Pearl a little bit. Maybe they're a little too poppy. I'm not sure. Kaja Bonet and Emile LaRue is what oh, I was thinking I love Emile LaRue. Yeah. I love Emile LaRue so much. <laughs> but didn't you talk about Raphael Sadiq recently? Yeah, he might have been involved like as a, a producer for one of the the albums I talked about. I couldn't remember, though. I mean, Raphael Sadiq is all over anything. Like, he is prolific. He's amazing. Yeah. But yeah. I love... I Actually, so another thing. I, for whatever reason, thought Hiatus Coyote was, like, something totally different. So I don't think I've ever really fully given them a shot until now. Hmm. Well, that's good then. I thought they were... <laughs> yeah, I thought they were a little bit more... Um, mainstreamy, cheesy kind of Are you of like, serious? Because they're like so much the opposite. I know. I didn't, that's why I'd never listened to it. I don't know. Something must have confused me early on to not give them that, that full list. Like, honestly, I feel like this, this is their most approachable album, you know, because they're so virtuos- virtuosic with their instruments, you know? I think yeah. that a lot of times their live performances can get a little a little highbrow for the layperson, you know? 
which is totally fine. Like they don't care, you know, get into it, show us what yeah. you've got, go crazy. Um, and I love it. But I think in terms of like commercial appeal, this is the album that really pulls it into focus. I think I must have confused them, their name with somebody mm. else. Because the sound is exactly not what I thought of them. So I think I was just confusing them with someone else. Honestly. I would love to know who you were thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. If it ever like pops into your brain, text me immediately because I'm curious. Okay, I will. I will. Um, they've, got a, sure. they've got another track called And We Go Gentle. That's another one of my favorites. It's it's just this like really tight groove. It kind of feels like that Erica Badu track, Didn't You Know, off of her Mama's Gun record, oh, yeah. which I've also talked about before here at the record store. You have, yeah. Um, it's a classic. Yeah, where, you know, you've just got this like bump and bass line and the vocals are just kind of vibing on top of the bass line. That's a really, really good track. I like that one as well. Yeah. Another track I wanted to call out is Red Room. I got a red room. Right. So, of course, the COVID pandemic is one of the themes explored in this album. And for Red Room, Napalm had a really great quote that I'd like to read. She says, I used to live in an old house. The windows were colored red like lead light windows. And whenever the sun set, the whole room would glow for an hour. It's such a simple thing, but it was so magic to me. So that memory, you know, became the subject of this track, but with a slight shift in meaning. She says, it's become an anthem celebrating us all being in our rooms in the context of the pandemic. It's a perfect example of how music veins its way in and lives different lives with different people. So I think it's a really nice visual. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. It did come out in 2021. So I guess, yeah, there would be some pandemic themes potentially thrown in there. I had read that a lot of the material she wrote for this album came from her breast cancer diagnosis and just kind of like how her perspective on life changed after that. And so a lot of those perspectives were themes that she explored on this on this album. And maybe that whole animal sex thing on chivalry <laughs> is not dead. might be a little bit of that. But yeah, I, I forget how recent this album is. So the pandemic yeah, I mean, thing would work its way into. <laughs> even leading up to COVID, Napalm had been hit with some some pretty rough stuff, right? She had the cancer diagnosis. Um, also, her her pet bird, who'd been with her for nearly 10 years, died. His name was Charlie Parker. Oh my gosh. Isn't that cute? Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker. He was the bird. He was the bird. And it's so cute. You can see them like perform and she'll have the bird is like perched on her head. So they were inseparable. And she has like a really a close, serious relationship with nature and animals and things. So yeah. to have that all happen and then be hit with COVID, you know, it prompted a significant shift in the album's perspective for sure. Interesting. Wow. Did not know that. I was just saying she performed live with a bird on her head? Well, you can see, like, look at their videos and some of their live performances and their jam sessions. Yeah, she always has that bird hanging out. Wow. It's really cute. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but just to talk about Red Room, I think that backstory resonated for me because here in my office, aka my safe space, I have like sheer wine-colored curtains. And every morning, the same thing happens when the sun rises it comes through the curtains and like the room is just bathed in this red glow. And, but it's not like a creepy 
the shining kind of way. (laughs) It's actually really comforting. It's like, I'm in this womb and I'm witnessing the birth of a new day. And I don't know. I like that feeling. That's lovely. It's a lovely image. Yeah. But talking about her, her cancer experience, you know, she went through a single mastectomy. Um, I feel like she kind of talks about that a bit in Stone and Lavender, which is this really gorgeous, vulnerable ballad. Another favorite of mine. I really want to read this quote, if you can tolerate one more quote, because the way she puts it, I want all the quotes. She's just so expressive. And I love watching interviews with her because it's just full of like really insightful tidbits. But here's what she says about stone and lavender. Please don't bury us unless we're seeds is a reference to a quote that says they tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. And that visual is so effing powerful. It's saying, please don't try to crush the human spirit because all life has the potential to grow, belong to love. This song is the closest to my breast cancer diagnosis stuff. It's saying, all right, who are you? What do you want from life? Who do you want to be? Do you emit a beautiful scent and you're soft and you're healing or are you stone? Before anyone's even exchanged anything, before a word is ever uttered, your energy introduces you. Isn't that dope? That is I love really, that so that's much. That's a really good quote. Yeah. She just said that in like an interview? Yeah, man. She just drops these bombs on you out of nowhere. Uh, I wish I had that sort of poetic way of talking. I mean, that's, that's really strong imagery too. Yeah, she's great. Her writing, her songwriting is really strong. I mean, which is evident just in the way she speaks right. and her take on life, you know, um, and her voice. Like, give me a break. It's fascinating. Even, mm-hmm. even among great singers, she's greatness, you know? Like you look at some singers and you think, wow, that must have taken years and years of training. And then you hear some singers and you're like, oh, they've been singing that way straight out of the womb, you know? And that's, I think Napalm is in that club for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about the whole band though. Look at who their peers are on Brain Feeder. They're on Brain Feeder, which is a record label founded by Flying Lotus. Her peers include people that are just immensely talented, like Thundercat and Lewis Cole. Yeah. Which I think all have the same sort of psychedelic, but very jazzy, smart, extremely talented instrumentalists. The whole label is just stacked. But they all kind of have the similar, not a similar sound that kind of discredits their sound. But, you know, they all have a vibe. They all have a vibe. It's like, it's like an experimental vibe. There's a freedom in the kind of music they play. You know? Yes. Which actually brings up... something I wanted to chat about here, if we can. I don't know how to approach it, but Hiatus Coyote, they're a group of all-white musicians from Australia, and their music is close proximity to Black music. And maybe are they taken seriously because they're white in this sort of culture? Or do you think they're respected as musicians? And then I think, what about Steely Dan too, right? Well, I think in the case of Hiatus Coyote, that wouldn't apply here. That definitely does happen, but I don't think that's the case here. I think a lot of people were like hot on Hiatus Coyote before they'd even seen them. And then they're like, oh, snap, it's four white people. (laughs) But like, (laughs) but they're just dope. They're they're great musicians. I want to call them out. Um, There's Perrin Moss on the drums, Simon Maven on keys, Paul Bender on bass, and then Napalm, the singer, but she also plays guitar and keys. But no, these, these musicians are legit. 
and their talent transcends any categorization. So no, I don't think that would be an issue. Not in this case. Steely Dan, Um, I can't speak to as much, but I would like to hear your take on that. I think that they fit the same thing. I think that they are just incredibly talented musicians that surpass that. I don't know how you want to, like, how do you even describe that? That's a complicated thing. But this quote that I found was talked about it. And I just thought, oh, that's just kind of an interesting maybe thing to bring up. Like, is this a thing? Does media or even the public treat certain people as novelty because they don't fit this standard or like what they expect of whatever genre? I don't know. But I feel like Steely Dan is the same, really talented musicians that are widely respected by their peers and in the music community. I agree. Uh, You know, it kind of makes me think about Tita Marie. Yes. Rick James' protege, like her voice, come on. Like one of the most recognizable voices of that time. She had the chops, she had the riffs, she had the power, the lungs, everything. And people were shocked when they saw her for the first time, you know? Um, but yeah, she's one of those talents that just, I think, transcends the expectations that the industry has set for us about what artists should look like or what, you know, race or ethnicity they should be. Yeah. So even in the song Square Biz by Tina Marie, she says, I've been called Casper, shorty a little bit, and some they call me Vanilla Child. But you know what? They don't mean my world to me because baby names don't cramp my style. Okay. Right? And she's like, you ain't got nothing on me. I'm talking Square Biz to you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can't You can't mess with Tina Marie, man. Can't. No, she, she gets all the respect for sure. But yeah, back to Hiatus Coyote, though, like, the band, they are just so insanely tight. They are. I've never, if you watch them live, um, and they have a really cool Tiny Desk performance that's pretty recent Ooh. too, but they play like one organism. It's crazy. And it's not like they're just sitting on a groove. No, they're like moving through some really complex polyrhythms and harmonies, but they're just always in perfect sync. It's like they can read each other's minds. Um, it's really fun to watch. Wait, what did you say? You said a, a one organism? Yeah. They play like one organism, not like four, not like four, five, four people just trying to An get ecosystem. through it. <laughs> right. They are one solid musical organism. Actually, um, Simon Maven, the keyboardist, he talks about that being something he sought out intentionally, you know, wanting to have this like unified, democratic, creative approach with like-minded people and as opposed to just being like a session or a, or a background musician. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to know more about the band members separately and hear them speak a bit, there's a really cool series on YouTube called Being Here that interviews oh. each of them for like five minutes and they talk about their influences and stuff. So that's cool. it's a cool way to get to know the band. I kept reading that this album was not like their others, where the others sounded or almost seemed like they were just recording their live jam sessions. This one seemed more focused Exactly. um, intentional. Again, there's that word. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier, too, about this being probably the album with the most commercial appeal. Um, The the other albums do kind of feel like a live show. And I think that's probably been their greatest criticism. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to find anything to criticize these guys about. But yeah, in comparison, I think Mood Valiant is going to be the more digestible record for, for most people. Yeah, well, I really liked it. Yeah. So I'm glad that you mentioned it. I think 2022 is going to be a big year for them. If they get another Grammy nod, like 
they better get that thing or I'm going to like fly into L.A. like a bat out of hell <laughs> and fight somebody. Well, the Grammys haven't been known for having the best taste anyway. <laughs> that is true. I don't think these guys care anyway. I think they know they're incredible. Yeah. And they're just following their own vibe. Yeah, much like Shuggy Otis. Again, there's a connection. Exactly. How are we doing this, Tara? We're like... There's always a connection. It's so great. They're doing We're their connected. own thing. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't care about the fame. Sure, that would have been great. What he cares about is his... Maybe. <laughs> his mark on his music that he was making. He wanted to right. be the real deal. And I am grateful for it. Right. Yeah. Now we've got this great discography from this awesome once-in-a-lifetime musician, so... I think the moral of the story is, do you boo? Do you Get in be the booth yourself? And do you boo? Exactly. <laughs> Don't be swayed by the industry or the industry standards or the fame. Be you. Make art for the sake of your art and its purpose. And it will reach the ears it needs to reach. Exactly. You know, it'll reach your tribe, it'll reach your people, and that's all that matters. And you'll be more proud of your art than ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moral of the story. <laughs> Is that where we end things? <laughs> Seems like a nice place to put a little pin in it. <laughs> well, this is really fun. I'm glad that you brought this album to the table. My first time listening to it all the way through. I really enjoyed it. And I love to see the commonalities between the two artists that we chose today. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fun that we landed on this, this parallel like we've yeah. always done. Yeah. And also, you know what? If you're still new to Hiatus Coyote, I strongly recommend that you watch their music videos. Because like as as great as they are musically, they have like the visual art chops oh. to match. The, the visuals are insane. They're That's so cool. much fun. Yeah. That's cool. I, well, I really want to see her performing live with the bird on her head. So I'm definitely going to be doing some research, <laughs> further research on YouTube. And, and if there's anyone in the store that takes the time to listen to these albums... Let us know what you think about it in our Discord channel. There's a lot of other record store shoppers, listeners, regulars hanging out in our Discord and having a lot of great conversation about music. So come hang out with us there. Yeah, and I'd also be curious to hear from, from you all about other artists you think didn't get their due props like back in the day. That's and true. then maybe kind of made a surge later on. You know, because there yeah. are a lot of artists out there. So let's let's uh, shed some light on those guys. I agree. And gals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to hear some more artists like this that are just kind of overlooked somehow. Yeah. But the link to that Discord channel can be found on the website, recordstoresociety.com or on our Instagram, which is at recordstoresociety. That's it. This is a fun chat, as always. Yeah, I feel good about our choices Yeah. this time around. Solid. Let's, nice work, Tara. <laughs> nice work to you, Natalie. <laughs> Let's close up the shop and go home. Ah, uh, yes. Bye. Bye. See you next time. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.